The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. your first flying lesson. Stick your right hand over the broom and say up. Wow. Mr. Longbottom, exactly where do you think you're going? Do you really have the scar? Wicked. Mr. Potter, our new celebrity. First years should note that the dark forest is strictly forbidden. There's no magics to be used between the classes and the corridors. Petrificus Totalis. The third floor corridor is out of bounds to everyone who does not wish to suffer a most painful death. Throw in the dungeon! Understand this, Harry, because it's very important. Not all wizards are good. I'm going to bed before either of you come up with another clever idea to get us killed. Or worse, expelled. She needs to sort out her priorities. I think it is clear that we can expect great things from you. All right, guys, welcome to the third birthday episode. Light the candles. It's birthday time. It's Kyle here, too. It's Jimbo and Kyle. Uh, we have made it to our third year of this podcast. Boy, from very humble beginnings to where we are now, it's amazing that some of you stuck through this the entire time. It's amazing how and far we've come. Always got happy to have new listeners. Um, so today, as you could probably tell by the title... Um, we decided to do a movie that a lot of the people have requested, a lot of people have uh, posted on Facebook about, uh, there's memes that fly around. We are doing the very first Harry Potter movie, which was Harry Potter and the, the Sorcerer's, Sorcerer's Stone. Stone. So Kyle, before we jump into this special birthday edition, what let's ma- give you a question. What magical question do you have, Jimbo? How many whole cakes can you eat at one time? Whole <laughs> no, cakes. just too many. That's the answer. No. Too many. Um... If you could have one spell to cast. Oh, from the actual series. What would you choose as your go-to spell? Oh, that that, that pig that the one that puts the little pigtail on the kids. That that was the fun one. <laughs> yeah, the one that uh, the Hagrid does at the very beginning puts the pigtail on the kid that tries to steal the cake. That's a hilarious one that I would do to random people in the street and just, <laughs> just, just go have through, fun with that. Just goes like, Walmart. ah, you have a pigtail for the rest of your life. You go through Walmart and be like, yeah, just, <laughs> <laughs> and just, yeah. 
I'm going to get to I have no idea what the wand noises are. It's great. <laughs> Did you just do a, a rutabaga? <laughs> Why won't you work? <laughs> Ironical baka. <laughs> I have no idea what the noise are. David Hasselhoff. David Hasselhoff. <laughs> All right, In sync. In sync. All right, Kyle, let's go ahead and jump into the third birthday uh, episode, Harry Potter. All right, I'm going to get into all of this. And let me tell you, there's a lot. <laughs> all right. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, released on November 11th of 2001, directed by Chris Columbus, written by the novel, of course, J.K. Rowling, and also the screenplay was written by Steve Cloves. Composer, the legendary John Williams. Cinematographer, John Seal. Editor, Richard Francis Bruce. Casting directors, Susie Figgis, Janet Hersherson, Jane Jenkins, and Karen Lindsay Stewart. Um, the reason I'm putting the casting directors on a, um, a spotlight here is because pretty much like 90% of the cast they did for this first movie stayed with them for all, um, was it eight movies in total? Originally? There are seven movies in total now. They pretty much stayed for the entire series. Um, uh, and very few actors have to get changed over or replaced for very few exceptions. Um, the budget of the film was $125 million in 2001. Um, that'd be worth about approximately $200 million today. Opening weekend, though, it made $90.3 million, which would be equivalent to about $144 million today. Gross, just in U.S. and Canada, though, for the lifetime of its film run, and just U.S. and Canada, was $511 million. So a huge box office success there. And gross worldwide, no joke, this made $1 billion in 2001, which would be equivalent of $1.6 billion today. This is a juggernaut of a film in terms of like actual performance back in the day. And it'd be scary to see how much the actual whole series made. Oh, gosh, we have to get that. We'll have to get that detail sometime later for like the lifetime sales yeah. of the film franchise. The answer is in the tens of billions, I'm sure, <laughs> um, at that point, because these films were just absolutely juggernauts in the field. I'm sure Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers misses them every day. They want more Harry Potter movies all the time, and they try to, but they limit success. Um, technical details here: we have a runtime of 152 minutes for the theatrical cuts, or 159 minutes for some extended cuts, or I believe it's at the DVD or release kind of cuts. Color info: This is, of course, a color modern color film. Aspect ratio is 2.39 by 1. Cameras used were the Panavision Panaflex Millennium XL, the Panavision Primo lenses with the Panavision Panaflex Millennium, and the Panavision Primo lenses with the Panavision Panaflex Platinum, and the Panavision Primo lenses with that too. Film length, a whopping 4,248 meters. And process was the digital inter in, uh, intermediate for the 4K 2017 remaster and Super 35 process for the uh, original theatrical release. And printed format, it was an IMAX digital, IMAX laser, 35mm, and the Kodak Vision 2383. Release details, this was originally really course release in the United Kingdom for obvious reasons. This is a United Kingdom-based film um, based off of suggestions by the original author. Let's see here. And filming dates, this film was filmed... This. This movie was filmed between September 29th of 2000 between and March 23rd, 2001. It is remarkable how fast they filmed this movie and then also went on to release it later that year. Like, they finished filming the movie on March 23rd and released it in November. That's incredible, especially with the special effects they needed to do at the time. So, really impressive on there. Then, moving on to the drumroll, please, we have the awards. And oh boy, we have a lot of interesting <laughs> awards to go through. I and I'm sure to. there's so many of them that you're not going to say all of them. I cut this down considerably, mostly in nomination fronts. I just want to go for the straight wins so I can kind of see, like, cash, like, what it actually won, what's going to be murdered for at the end of the day. Nominations are good and still an honored practice, but at the same time, uh, the wins are what counts most for um, film adaptations the most more, to me personally. Um, first up, we have the 2002 BMI Film and TV Awards, where it won for John Williams. In 2002, it won the Critics' Choice Awards at the Broadcast Film Critics Association, um, where it won Best Family Film. And in 2002, um, for the Casting Society of America, it won the um, Artius Award for Best Casting for a Feature Film Comedy. In 2002, it also won the Costume Deniers Guild Awards for um, Excellence in Period and Slash Fantasy Film. 2002, it in the even Evening Standard British Film Awards, um, it won the Best Technical and Artistic Achievement. 
Moving on here to the next page here. It also won Best Family Film for the um, Evening Standard British Films Awards as well. Then going to the Satellite Awards, we have it won the Best Outstanding New Talent awarded to Rupert Grint, who plays Ron Weasley. We'll get to the casting for him later. And in 2002, we have the Young Artist Awards for Most Promising Young Newcomer, also awarded to Rupert Grint. They had high hopes for him in 2002. <laughs> and then we have a um, Young Artist Award. We have Best Performance in a Feature Film for Leading Young Actress. We're leading to Emma Watson, who was actually tied with um, Scarlett Johansson for American Rhapsody. That's an interesting little tie there. And then in the 2012, we have the AFI Awards from the US of A. It won a special award created just for Harry Potter series and marking the triumphant chapter of the landmark series, eight films that earned a trust for a generation who wished for the beloved books of J.K. Rowling to come to life in the silver screen. The collective wizardry and epic ensemble gave the gift of a growing older with Harry, Ron, and Hermione as the magic of Hogwarts sprung from the films into the hearts and minds of muggles around the world. So AFI truly loved the whole series. Good for them. So here, going on here forward, we have the Academy Awards, where it won Best Costuming, um, awarded to Janini Makovsky. Uh, Ma- and let's see here, moving on, we have, finishing up here, we have the um, 2001 Bogey Awards, where it won the award in Titanium. Not sure what kind of was it, but that's a German award there. And then we have the Golden Schmoes Award for Most Overrated Movie of the Year in 2001. <laughs> the Schmooze is the, back? The sh- Golden Schmooze. The Golden Schmooze is returned. The worst what? Yeah. Most Overrated Movie of the Year. Wow. Oh, <laughs> that was a, that's, kind of, that's kind of brutal. That's like a, like a whiplash right there. Then we're moving on to the casting right here. We, of course, have Daniel Radcliffe playing the titular Harry Potter. Um, Daniel Radcliffe can also be seen in such films as, as, as Swiss Army Man in 2016, Guns Akimbo in 2019, Horns in 2013, and The Woman in Black in 2012. He's getting ready to play somebody else, isn't he? Uh, I don't know about his upcoming roles. Oh, okay. I have to look it up later. Um, next up, we have Rupert Gwent playing Ron Weasley. He's in such films as Moonwalkers in 2015, Into the White in 2012. Thunderpants in 2002 and Wild Target in 2009. I just had to put Thunderpants in there because I love that title. <laughs> I've never heard of that film before this casting. Uh, name. <laughs> then also we have the iconic uh, Emma Watson playing Hermione Granger. She was, of course, in such films as Beauty and the Beast in 2017, Little Women in 2019, The Perks of Being a Wallflower in 2012, Noah in 2014, and Ballet Shoes in 2007. Next up, we have Tom Felton playing Draco Malfoy. Um, Tom Felton was also such films as Rise of the Planet of the Apes in 2011, The Forgotten Battle in 2022, in 2020, sorry, not 2022, 2020, and The Burrowers in 1997. Next up, we have the iconic actor Alan Rickman playing Professor Severus Snape. He was, of course, in his debut film, recognized for his debut film in Die Hard in 1988, Robin Hood, The Prince of Thieves in 1991, Galaxy Quest in 1999, Dogma in also in 1999, and Love Actually in 2003. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe is going to be playing Weird Al Yankovic. Oh, that's right. So that's, I forgot about he looks that. looks really good in I that. did this casting before I... Uh, oh, I heard that story. That's so cool. I've seen set photos from that. He looks incredible. He does. <laughs> okay. okay. Back on the story. Um, Robert Coltrane um, is going to play uh, played, um, Rupus Hagrid. Um, he can be seen in such films as Goldeneye in 1985. The World is Not Enough in 1999, another um, 007 film, yep. and Van Helsing in 2004, and The Adventures of Huck Finn in 1993. Was it Van Helsing, really? Yes, he was. I, 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 I may have been Mr. Hyde, I forgot. Um, I have to check. Um, I don't know which role he played in that movie. Um, next up, we have Maggie Smith, legendary Maggie Smith, playing Professor um, Minerva McGonagall. Um, she, of course, worked in such roles as Hook in 1991, Sister Act in 1992, the Lady in the Van in 2015, The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel in 2011, and Death on the Nile in 1978, the original Death on the Nile, not the new remake which came out, and Downtown Abbey from 2010 to 2015. And she'll also appear in the film later in this view, The, Death, the Downtown Abbey, A New Era in uh, 2022, this year. So he doesn't get delayed. Hopefully he doesn't now. Next up, we have Richard Harris playing Professor Albus Dumbledore. He can be seen in such films as Camelot in 1967, A Man Called Horse in 1970, Cromwell, also in 1970, Unforgiven in 1992, The Count of Monte Cristo in 2002, and Gladiator in 2000. 
Next up, we have Bonnie White playing Jenny Weasley. She was in such films as Those Who Wander, uh, Those Who Wander, yeah, Those Who Wander in 2015, Stranded in 2002, Before I Sleep in 2013, and The Sea also in 2013. Next up, we have Matthew Lewis playing Neville Longbottom. He's in such films such as Me Before You in 2016, Baby Done in 2020, The Rise in 2012, and Terminal in 2018. Moving forward here, we have Fiona Shaw playing Petuna Dursley. Um, she can such films as Three Men and a Little Lady in 1990, Fracture in 2007, My Left Foot in 1988, 1989, Colate in, 19, 20, in 2018, and Enolia Holmes in 2020. Next up, we have Richard Griffiths, Richard Griffiths playing Vernon Dursley. He used such films as Sleepy Hollow in 1999, With Nail and I in 1987, Bedtime Stories in 2008, King Ralph in 1991, Guarding Tess in 1994, About Time in 2013. Then we have Harry Melling playing Dudley Dursley. He used such films as The Devil, the Devil All the Time in 2020, The Queen's Gambit in 2020, The Lost City of Z in 2016, the Keeper in 2018, and Waiting for the Barbarians in 2019. Next up, we also have the legendary actor Warwick Davis oh, playing fantastic. Professor Phileas Flitlock and the voice of Grip Hook. Uh, Kyle, if you um, look up here to the uh, left, left of, of your studio, yes. you will see my autographed wicket yes. of Warwick Davis. Warwick uh, Davis. I met at Star Wars Celebration 2, I do believe, 2 or 3. Awesome. Great actor. Yeah, I love him. Great actor. Love him. The Leprechaun series, excellent series. <laughs> yep. Um, of course, you'll recognize him from such movies as the iconic Willow in 1988. <gasps> One of my favorites. The Leprechaun series from 1993 really to 2003. And, of course, the Ewok named Wicket and various there other is. roles in the Star Wars series of movies. And probably the TV shows now, like the Disney Plus shows. I wouldn't be surprised if he's in there, too. Yeah, so excellent. Warwick Davis, awesome guy. Um, and then we have Roy, um, Vern Troyer playing the body of Grip Hook. <laughs> You'll also know him as Mini Me in the Austin Powers movies. Um, he was also um, in Jingle All the Way as one of the. Um, uh, I believe he, I don't know if he played an elf or he played the tiny Santa. I think it was actually a tiny Santa he played in Jingle All the Way. Um, Bubble, he was in the movie Bubble Boy in 2001 and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas in 1993. Next up, we have David Bradley playing Agris Filch. Um, he can study in such movies such as An Adventure in Space and Time in 2013. Reoccurring characters in the Game of Thrones series from 2011 to 2019, and a main cast member of The Strain in 2014 to 2017. Then we have Ian Hart playing Professor uh, Queenus Quirrell. <laughs> I'm trying to get the pronunciation right. Um, who plays um, such movies as Land and Freedom in 1995, The Hound of Baskervilles in 2002, and One Summer in 1983. Then finally, last but not least, we have Richard Bremer playing Lord Voldemort. He can be seen in such films as The Thirteenth Warrior in 1999, The Girl with a Brain in Her Feet in 1997, <laughs> and City Slacker in 2012. And that concludes the cast of Harry Potter. All right, Kyle, I got a question for you. You got questions? I got answers. Who, in your right mind, who would you who you thinks the better actor, Warwick Davis or Peter Dinklage? <sighs> Yeah, yeah, tough call. No, I know, I, I know. It's Peter Dinklage. I think Peter Dinklage has um, shown a greater range of acting um, um, in his roles. Um, I just don't think Warwick Davis is given the opportunities the same ones that Peter Dinklage had. But at the same time, there's almost a spin. Warwick Davis is much older than him. Now, oh yeah, too, yeah, so. yeah. Warwick Davis wasn't given those opportunities in the first place, and he paved a lot of the way for what Peter Dinklage later went on to become in like the series of Game of Thrones. Although I'm hoping Willow, the Disney Plus Willow, comes out. And I would he love just to knocks see it out. Oh yeah, no, I, it's I, coming I, out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I would, but I just I, hope they don't kill Willow off in the first few. Oh minutes yeah, yeah, of yeah. The yeah movie. Saying, I, I would love for him to be able to show his acting chops and what he can do there. I don't think he's been given the, a lot of the opportunities to um. Show Show how good of an actor he can be, though necessarily. So I want him. To I team, would love to. See I want to him. see him team up in a movie like as cop detectives or something. Can you imagine how funny that? That would be awesome. Yeah. So just all right. him like against type. Don't make him about being a short person. Make him a great character. Right. I agree with that. So like, Peter Dinklage was given the opportunity and he excelled at it. And so I think I'm comfortable saying like I 
I he has shown himself to be a great actor. Warwick Davis has not had the opportunity to show himself as a great actor. He has shown himself to be as an, a, an actor in these iconic roles. Right. You know. So, Kyle, go ahead and give us a summary of the first Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, you, uh, Harry Potter is a young... Um, Would you say he's mis- an orphan? Yeah, yeah, he's an or- basically an orphan, a mistreated boy. Um, That's been raised the- by his aunt, being raised by his aunt and uncle, right? Yeah, being raised by his aunt and uncle. So he's adopted. He's not really an orphan at that but. point. He's adopted, but still, like um, he is a yeah, he is a boy living in an abusive home, um, and is being given the opportunity to go to a private school to learn that he is actually a wizard. And You're learn, a wizard, Harry. Learn the yes, <laughs> and, uh, and unravels a mystery of why he was kept um, in the dark about being a wizard, and what future holds, and who might be after him. And dark mysteries unfold for movies so to he, come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For movies to come, eight movies to come. Seven All movies. right, so uh, let's go and talk about this movie a little bit. Hmm. But before we do talk about this movie, Kyle wanted to make a specifically statement to J.K. Rawlings. Not personally to her. No, just not, not personally to her. Overview. Uh, but similarly how we kind of other, uh, handle other creators kind of like going forward in uh, recently Rowan Polanski just kind of mentioned like if there's anything like um, overtly problematic or something like that we kind of want to get away with or get ahead of anyways. Um, J.K. Rowling unfortunately has history of being both uh, transphobic and homophobic and possibly expressing other ideas. She's been in the news recently as much as like Vladimir Putin mentioning her and a bunch of other stuff where it's like um, – J.K. Rowan has proven to be a problematic individual with some very divisive opinions about people's rights and uh, what she believes people should be doing for their lives. Um, so it's kind of a subject we don't really want to touch with a 10-foot pole because it gets messy. And unfortunately, that is a little bit reflected in some of her later Harry Potter works and some of her other works. But for this film, we're going to focus on mainly the um, kind of the, the children, um, ch- family friendly aspects of this film and not dwell on those subjects. But we are aware of that. We are aware of J.K. Rowling and all of her kind of controversies and failings. But we're going to mainly focus on the film. But just wanted to get ahead of that and mention that first off. So back to the podcast for well, real though. Are you movie. done? Are you done Kyle? I'm done. I'm okay. Done. okay. It's the movie. Well, you now. know, once you get on a tangent, you just don't. I, shut I, up. I have no idea what you're talking about, Jimbo. <laughs> I am a beacon of simplicity. <laughs> simple. Simplicity, simple would be yes. Okay, so here we go. Uh, Alan Rickman, the great legendary Alan Rickman, was handpicked by uh, to play Snape by Rowling herself, and received special instructions from her about his character. Rowling even provided him with vital details of Snape's backstory not revealed until the final novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yep. That's that, that's and it, it's an appropriate thing to do. It's it's excellent casting on that. Right? Alan Rickman, obviously a legendary actor, and also getting him that information um, played a pivotal role in the growth of those all eight of those films. That right. Was revealed the last thing to reveal, which will be said in this podcast. Uh, the child Always. actors <laughs> and actresses would do their actual schoolwork in the movie to make the school setting more real. <laughs> Oh, poor kids. Yeah. Well, they're getting paid to do their schoolwork, I guess. Yeah, millions of dollars, but still. <laughs> um, Rowling revealed on her website that she was asked to play Harry Potter's mother, Lily, during the Mirror of Erised scene, but she turned down the role, claiming that she is not an actress and would have messed it up somehow. So instead, it went to Geraldine Somerville. Mm-hmm. Also, it would, it would just feel kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm the mother of this character now. Like, nah, nah. So, Kyle, before we go too much further, and I think we forgot to this, give us a synopsis of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Oh, a synopsis of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Um, it's the story of Harry Potter, a boy um, who survived a violent attack that killed his own parents. He's got like a little bit of a Batman origin story there. And uh, he was raised by his uncles, uh, by his uncle and his, um, and his aunt, and they were very abusive to him. And then uh, one day when he turns, I believe, 12, I believe it's 12, um, he is told that he's actually a wizard. And he is going to be taken to a wizardry school to learn how to become a practicing um, adult wizard someday. And uh, gets into uh, magical hijinks and uh, school conspiracies and all kinds of fun stuff there. So it's a it's a uh, coming to a, you know um, coming of age story for Harry Potter. And he's got that gnarly scar on his head. Yeah, he's forehead. got that cool Z on his face. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. So... Um, here we go. Rosie O'Donnell and Robin Williams were two of the celebrities who had asked for a role in this movie without pay. Wow. In their cases, Molly Weasley and Rubus Hagrid, respectively. They didn't get these roles, however, because J.K. Rowling wanted a cast strictly from the British Isles. 
Yeah, it was very important to her to keep that British identity there. Um, that, still, is I, the, that is one thing that she was adamant about, that these people will be British, which is sad because adding star power like that, I think, Especially I, Robin Williams. Well, the, the movie already made a billion dollars. Right. Well, like, I mean, I'm not the main in that case. Still. Uh, but always, yeah, the the absence of Robin Williams is always felt in life. So. Rosie O'Donnell, <laughs> not so much. Um, the last name Dumbledore means bumblebee mm-hmm. in Old English. Also, the word muggle exists in the early to mid-1900s as a jazz word that was used for pot smokers. <laughs> <laughs> So wizards don't smoke weed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, they don't inhale. Uh, in order to understand what he believed to be caretaker Filch's lonely lifestyle, David Bradley and his cat rented an isolated Irish cottage in which to live for a month before filming began. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, for most of the movie, also, the body double for Hagrid would wear animatronics head that resembled Robert Coltrane. The head is now displayed at the Harry Potter studio in London. Oh, wow. Road trip. <laughs> we got to go to London just to see, Harry, just see Robert Coltrane's head <laughs> melting on a wall. <laughs> Maybe if we have any listeners in London and they've been, they can send some pictures to our Facebook group. That'd be Google cool. Up. We can Google uh, it. <laughs> the scenes at Hagrid's hut were filmed on location on a small patch of land in London, not far from Levis... Leavesden Studios? Leavesden Studios. Man, I'm butchering this. It's, it's thought uh, the hut though. was demolished when the shoot wrapped in case fans of this movie wanted to swamp it. I understand that. Um, the owls in this movie were shipped over from Massachusetts. Yep. Uh, Fluffy, the three-headed dog, was modeled after Cerberus, of course, the also three-headed dog of the underworld from Greek mythology. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I fought him in Kingdom Hearts, too. We've all fought Cerberus at one point in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> in one video game or another. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, Richard Harris only agreed to take uh, the part of Albus Dumbledore after his 11-year-old granddaughter threatened never to speak to him again. (laughs) Uh, He later had health issues of his own, dying of Hodgkin's lymphoma shortly before the release of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets in 2002, Uh, which is why they changed actors for the later movies. It makes sense. I understand. It happens. If there's one actor who would have passed away, it would be the incredibly old actor playing Jane Grant Wizard. Yeah. um, Still sad to hear, though. Um, Screenwriter Michael Goldenberg wrote a draft for the script, but was also rejected by the David Hy- by David Hyman in favor of Steve Clove's draft. Hyman, however, was impressed with this draft and was subsequently brought in to write the script for Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix, released in 2007, when Clove's backed out to commit to a personal project. You ever wonder why the studios and directors don't just... leave me there. Like, no. You ever wonder why? Yeah, yeah man. No, just like, uh, <laughs> they just don't do a scene-for-scene scene shot of the book. Have you ever wondered that? It's just, movies don't lend themselves like you know like you know some cases we have like oh it's only going to be a 60 minute movie or it's going to be a five hour movie if you do the scene for scene shot like that you know I mean so many so many books don't actually lend themselves well to a movie adaptation I think Harry Potter has kind of included one of them where I, I think they did the best job they could with that and they did an admirable job but trying to do a scene shot for shot recreation of like what you see in the comic books or in the films or in the books is just like it's, it's difficult to do but it'd so. be cool it would be cool, you know. Uh, in well, it's even like, like Lord of the Rings. That's an incredibly long book. Yeah. But the, I think there were several key elements missing. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, well, indeed, I think, actually, I think, um, like, one thing about this, uh, specifically because J.K. Rowling hadn't finished the fairies when they did this book, I feel like they brought in too many aspects of, like, from the book into this first movie. And so, actually, it feels, like, kind of messy. Like, you know, the whole stuff about the unicorns and the centaurs doesn't really need to be in this movie at all, in my opinion, because it doesn't really play a big role later on in the films. But because it's in the book, they don't know how all this ends yet. They felt the need. They felt compelled to com- to include as much as humanly possible from the first book in here, when a lot of stuff just didn't matter later on. You know. uh, in order to make the Dursleys' house even more unpleasant, said decorator Stephanie McMillan deliberately sought out the ugliest furnishing possible. That makes sense. Yeah, that was definitely a. It is an it is a late nineties, early two thousand host that just looks hideous and out of place. <laughs> Uh, like the a, floating sad place to live. The floating candles in the Great Hall were created using candle-shaped holders containing oil and burning wicks and suspended from wires that moved up and down on a special effects rig to create the impression that they were floating. Eventually, one of the wires snapped due to the heat of the flame, causing the candle to fall to the floor. Fortunately, no one was injured, but the decision was made to recreate the candles using CGI for the following movies as using real candles was determined to be a safety, safety hazard. hazard. Makes sense. 
Yeah. Um, let's see. In the warehouse section of the National Railway Museum in New York, there is apparently authentic and suitable fitted and rusty white on orange sign saying platform nine and three quarters in the style of the British Railway used in the 1950s and 1960s. Huh. So it exists now. They've made it official. Yeah. During the Harry Potter movies, so all of them, Daniel Radcliffe went through 160 pairs of glasses. <laughs> wow. Which, Kyle did that just since I've known him. <laughs> Um, all of the food. Gone through one. <laughs> all of the food that you see in the Great Hall feast is real. Chris Columbus wanted a very elaborate welcome feast to match the description in the book with roast beef, ham, turkey, and all the trimmings. Unfortunately, filming under the hot stage lighting for hours at a time quickly caused the food to develop an unpleasant odor. Despite the meat being changed every two days and the vegetables twice a day. For the following films, samples of real food were frozen so that the molds could be made of them and copies cast in resin. Uh, okay, that's okay, that's a good idea for the sequels. I wonder if there's just one of the extras on there just eat away, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Every single time. Just Can you imagine that smell, dude? After... I gained 20 pounds from filming Harry Potter. <laughs> that smell, dude, after so long. Oh, I imagine yeah, that got be... musty and all kinds of weird noises. Just, yeah, not good. Um, Tom Felton originally auditioned to play Harry and Ron before getting the role of Draco Malfoy. <laughs> uh, in this movie, the scar on Harry's forehead is off-center. This was done at J.K. Rowling's request due to the artwork on the covers of her books. Many people have assumed that his scar is supposed to be in the center of his forehead. But the books never really say exactly where the scar is. No. Uh, the tabby cat used in the movie ran away during filming and came back two days later. <laughs> uh, I'm out of here. That's great. Uh, J.K. Rowling, as we said, always just, you know, the cast to be British, even though she permitted Irish actors uh, which then created a strictly British and Irish cast role for the franchise. <laughs> just, that's what the second like you think of like you you're like well I guess we'll let some Irish in. That's when it feels a little racist almost. Wow. <laughs> but okay, once again, J.K. Rowling, questionable figure in history. Um, Chris Columbus pitched his vision of the movie for two hours, stating he wanted the Muggle scenes to be bleak and dreary, but those said in the Wizarding World to be steeped in color, mood, and detail. He took inspiration from The Great Expeditions, released in 1946, and Oliver Twist in 1948, wishing to use that sort of darkness, that sort of edge, that quality of cinematography, taking the color designs from Oliver and The Godfather and movies like that. So Chris Columbus had a different idea, like how to film these films super depressingly in the human world and then very um, you know fantastical in the wizard world so right. cool on him and I guess they kind of did achieve those kind of visions in, late, in subsequent films too even without Christopher Columbus so, uh, this movie reveals that the 12th use for dragon's blood is oven cleaner oven cleaner yeah. uh, <laughs> sure it makes sense I, I use blood cleaner on my oven all the time <laughs> blood cleaner you mean dragon's blood yeah dragon's blood cleaner my oven. Uh, yeah. by February 2002 this was the second highest grossing movie worldwide after Titanic in 1997 uh, three owls play Hedwig Gizmo Ook and Sprout but mainly Gizmo Mm. Uh, Warwick Davis, who played Professor Flitwick in the first Green Gods Goblin, also provided the voice for Grip Hook, who was physically portrayed by Minimi Vern Troyer, as we have stated yes. in the cast. Yes. Um, this and Harry Potter, The Chamber of Secrets, are Christopher Columbus' two biggest financial hits. The others, of course, being uh, Home Alone, Home Alone 2, and Mrs. Doubtfire being his other giant financial hits. Mm. And mm. Discovering America in 1492. Oh, good movie, too, yeah. <laughs> Wait, Discovering America? Wait, which one? I don't no. want to joke you made. Wait, okay. Christopher Columbus discovered America oh, in 1492. Okay. I, 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 I rolled with it. I'm like, wait a minute. What did he <laughs> say? Like, you know what's the best is Kyle's going, yeah, that was a good movie, yeah, too. Movie. I love that movie. Just, it was so good. <laughs> the favorite movie of all time, Jimbo. And then I have to stop. Like, what did Jimbo just like, say? What did, just, what did, what did I just agree to? <laughs> Kyle, pay attention. Wow. You got me on a roll sometimes, Jimbo. Uh, Professor Quirrell's uh, Ironheart's classroom was filmed on location at La Cock Abbey in Wiltshire in a room known as the Warming Room. The cauldron seen in the room is not a prop, but in fact came with the location. It is believed that the cauldron is over 500 years old and was used by cooks who worked for Queen Elizabeth I. Awesome. That sounds really cool. Love to have food out of that one, simply. Just like, oh yeah, let's make this Let's make this giant stew in this giant cauldron. I always want to try giant food. It's great. Yeah. What does a giant eat? 
giant food. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, although Harry Potter, Harry Potter casts no spells during the movie, he does perform several acts of magic, such as talking to a snake, all of which are accidental. This is designed to show the show he is a natural wizard, but untrained, so he must attend Hogwarts to become a better wizard. Hmm. Otherwise, he just have his talking the snakes thing, you know. Uh, Hagrid is 8 feet 6 inches tall, although in the books he is portrayed to be about 12 foot tall. Mm-hmm. Liam Aiken was originally given the role of Harry, but a day later the offer was revoked when it discovered that he wasn't British. Aiken had previously worked uh, with Chris Columbus in some of his earlier movies. <laughs> Just stand there. <laughs> said, you ain't British, you ain't got the parts. Get out of there. Slightly more on the adult side of the idea, but it's like Hagrid is canonically he is his his mother was a giant and his father was a man with very peculiar tastes. <laughs> so way to go, good for him. I don't know how the man did it, but he managed to get a giant impregnated, and he had Hagrid, the half giant man. <laughs> Holy Kyle! How big is the full giant lady? We never get this information. Is it a fifteen foot fifteen foot tall woman? And the guy was like, "Yay!" <laughs> really. Remember that? Remember the end of the Boba Fett show, and you know he's riding the truck. The gigantic rancor. That's how Hagrid was born. Wow! And that just derailed this episode. Uh, Robbie Coltrane, six uh, foot ten inch, the body double for Hagrid is former England rugby international player Martin Bayfield. Mm-hmm. Um, Fluffy, the three headed dog's appearance, is physically based on a Staffordshire bull terrier. Uh, Emma Watson has stated that she hates the way her hair looks in this movie. In the following movie, her hair was made less bushy and more wavy. More wavy, yeah. Um, that's another thing too. Like the uh, the kids, uh, I, I read the original book uh, back in the day, and like the kids were kind of very geeky in their kind of appearance. Um, but then, um, the, you know, in the movies, of course, you got to hire you know Hollywood actors, you know, or just get British Hollywood actors and make them look all fancy and beautiful. And as of course, they all grew up to be gorgeous human beings. But in the books, they were all just like kind of nerdy, geeky looking people. You know, so. that's something something else too. As 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 the movies went on throughout the years, mm-hmm. they actually grew pretty good, uh, well together. You know, what I mean, they, they oh they, yeah, they they kept that. You know, sometimes people just when they start going through puberty and everything, they just get weird and. You know, they just, yeah, they just things look go some weird yeah, places. Like where somebody like, goes oh, seven I foot didn't. tall. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, things you kind of predict early on turn out not to be true. Um, but if anything, the exact opposite happened in Harry Potter, where it's like, uh, you know, all respect for the casting directors for the stroke of luck and genius. Like all these actors grew up together to look. Um, natural in their own chemistry, and also um, it also had to be incredibly beautiful. Most of them do. Right. I remember like Neville Longbottom's actor had like the biggest blow up because like he just turned out to like he looked kind of pudgy and geeky in the first films, and then by the end of it, he looks like another starring man himself. Right. <laughs> uh, J.K. Rowling made up the names of the four Hogwarts houses while on a plane. She wrote them down on a barf bag so she would remember them. <laughs> Uh, That's how she writes all her stories, actually. She just writes on her If Kyle had a name and J.K. Rowling was picking his name, he would be Barf... Barftoculus. Barftoculus. (laughs) Just that. Daniel Radcliffe learned he'd won the role of Harry Potter while he was in the bathtub. (laughs) I'm a a wizard! (laughs) I'm a wizard now! (laughs) Uh, The only Harry Potter movie not to feature Mark Williams, who played Arthur Weasley. Uh, This is the only Harry Potter movie where Harry does not cast an attacking spell. Oh, okay. Yeah, because like I said, he doesn't cast any spells in this movie. He just has natural accidental magic. All right, Kyle, here's, here's one that's going to hit home. Mm-hmm. Sir Alec Guinness. Yes. Was considered to play the role of Dumbledore, but he died shortly before filming began. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan I wonder what he would thought of that, because, you know, he wasn't really fond of Star, Star Wars. Wars. specifically. And have another fantastical show be another iconic role for him. I don't know. Uh yeah, um, like outside of his World War II roles, like Astrak Guinness seemed um, kind of uh, uh, resentful of his like more fantastical roles he played. So I don't know how he would have felt if he actually ended up playing Dumbledore or something like that. I think he would, he liked Lawrence of Arabia, if I remember right, didn't he? Yeah, but even then, that's also considered a more of a historical film that he considered himself playing. And also, he was wearing a Middle Eastern face, I guess, in that film too. Right. So it's like, eh. Originally, Bruce Springsteen recorded an original song for the movie called "I'll Stand by You Always." But the producers felt the song didn't match the story and mood of this movie and cut it from the final cut, along with the scene of Rick Mayall as Peeves. However, the song was released to the public on February 10, 2017. Mm-hmm. The, you got it? Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, the film never explicitly reveals who gave Harry the invisibility cloak at Christmas. 
In the book, it's told that the cloak belonged to Harry's father, who gave the cloak to Dumbledore for safekeeping. Dumbledore then gave it to Harry, reasoning that his father wanted him to have it. Yeah, I believe it's one of those, like it was one of the three uh, magical gifts that was later mentioned in the later books, not Horcruxes, but like the three gifts: the the impossibly the the, the powerful wizard's uh, stick and the the cloak of invisibility and some other thing that I also don't care about. I don't like Harry Potter that much. Wow. <laughs> Spoiler: um, John William composed a piece of music specifically for the movie's trailer without having seen a single frame of the film, and found it on the soundtrack as the prologue. Um, as of, of March 2002, he has only done this once before for Steven Spielberg's Hook, which we also covered in this movie. But you, you know why? Because it was actually going to go to James Horner, was contacted to compose the music for the movie, but he was unavailable because of a scheduling conflict. So it ultimately went to the wizard John Williams <laughs> as he created, yeah. which he's done other movies for Chris Columbus, uh, Home Alone, Home Alone 2, and Stepmon. Uh, uh, he also, Williams and Horner, would compete for the Oscar for Best Original Score in 2002, though. Williams for this film and, and AI artificial intelligence 2001 and Horner for a beautiful mind. A beautiful mind. Okay. Uh, oh, uh, okay. Here's another fun fact. Snape's costume was the only one that was never changed throughout all eight films. According to the costume designer, Janie Timmon, because it was perfect. When something is perfect, you cannot change it. Um, she joined in Prisoners of Azkaban and changed most of the costumes except Snape's. That's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, the street that Harry and Hagrid walked down to get to Leaky Cauldron is the same street on which Sir Sean Connery was parked waiting for Catherine Zeta-Jones to leave the antique shop in Entrapment in 1999. Oh, that's cool. Fun fact there. Yeah. Um, speaking of the, uh, what, what was the name of the, um, the bar again? I forgot the name of it. The Leaky Cauldron. Um, the Leaky Cauldron. Yeah, speaking of the Leaky Cauldron, much of the stonework um, around Hogwarts and the Leaky Cauldron is actually plastered that had been painted in distress to make it appear as if it was hundreds of years old. Yeah. So uh, this movie cost more money to make than Lord of the Rings: The Fellowship of the Ring in two thousand and one, and made more money at the box office that year. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's it's crazy. Like like yeah, Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter came out around the same time. I know. Yeah, they feel like they feel distant in my mind somehow, but I don't know why. Maybe because I only watched one on DVD and one in theaters. I think I watched Harry Potter in theaters, but um, Lord of the Rings was DVD for me back in the day. Um. Christopher Columbus originally planned to use animatronics and CGI to create the magical creatures, including Fluffy. Um, and during the process of creating these CGI creatures, they had to be redesigned multiple times to get the right fit. Uh, something that was kind of like unusual for the amount of creature designs they needed in the film itself. Yeah. So that was a difficult production, that kind of thing. Yep. Um, this cast includes one Oscar winner, that of Dame Maggie Smith, and four Oscar nominees, that of Richard Harris, Sir John Hurt, and Dame Julia Walters, and John Cleese. Maggie Smith, famous for... Uh, the downtown Abbey. Yep, yep. Not Dalton. Not downtown. Downtown. <laughs> yeah, downtown Abbey. Kyle is trending I'm, on Twitter I'm today. So, I'm so cultured. <laughs> downtown, yeah, down as Abbey. a Hamlet and, and as, as a ham would say in uh, Toys or Mr. Potato, you uncultured swine. <laughs> you uncultured swine. <laughs> yes. Um, in this movie, John Cleese played nearly headless Nick, a knight who was barely remains attached to his body after having almost beheaded. Ironically. In one of the many characters John Cleese played over the years, Monty Python and the Holy Grail in 1985, he was the Black Knight oh. who had every body part cut off except his head. Yeah, come back here, scratch. I'll bite your kneecaps off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, in one of the looks, uh, if one looks at old 17th century maps of London, Muggle Street exists near Shakespeare's theater. A possible influence to the word. A possible influence to the word. Maybe that's where J.K. Rowling got her idea, but didn't realize it. Um, or she just thought of weed smokers. Who knows? Um, as Harry is getting ready to ask the conductor where platform nine and three quarters is, the lady holding a baby girl talking to the conductor on the platform is the same actress who plays Harry's mother, Lily Potter. Huh. Yeah, fun back there. Yeah. Um, uh, mentioned earlier was the lighting effects going on in the center of uh, the Great Hall of Hogwarts. Um, uh, the Great Hall, including the trusses, was created using entirely CGI in real life. The ceiling consisted of nothing but studio stage lighting above those uh, natural lighting that we used for the first film. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It has been noticed by some that Robert Col Robbie Coltrane's costume and character in Black Adder's Christmas Carol, released in 1988, has a nearly identical portrayal to his role as Hagrid. Also, it is been that J.K. Rowling has said that Robbie Coltrane was always intended to have been cast as Hadrick in the movies, suggesting that in a special um, way, in part, have inspired the creation of Hagrid. 
both while creating the world from the books and his costume and casting within the Harry Potter movies as a literal personification of how he was imagined to look. So Robbie Coltrane was basically the always the, like, this is the person that needs to play Hagrid in my mind and J.K. Rowling's view. So that could either be, like, something she kind of made up nonsense after the fact or could be something that she said for real. Who knows? <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> you know who Hagrid reminds me of? Who? Sweetums from the Muppets, the big old monster. Oh, you know, guys, I want to go to Hollywood too. You know, he chased them down to get the car. <laughs> good, good. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I know. That's what I think every time I hear see Exaggerated in the hair. I, yeah. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. You're wrong, but I see what you're saying. <laughs> Um, in the troll scene in the girl's bathroom, Daniel Radcliffe isn't actually on the troll's neck because the motions would have snapped his neck. Therefore, the image was just digitally added. No. Yeah, they didn't have a real troll there, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, they got a cave troll. Yeah, they got a cave troll. Troll in the dungeon, in the dungeon. See that kind of thing. Um, Dudley Dursley is actually played by Her the actor Harry Melling. Um, but for the introduction of Hagrid, there was a brief moment in the film, um, which is not in the book, in which Hagrid mistakes Dudley for Harry. And uh, Dudley responds, I'm not Harry, even though his real life name is Harry. Yeah. So, fun little joke there. Um, in the book, Harry is allowed to come on Dudley's birthday party outing because the neighbor, Mrs. Fig, is unavailable to babysit him. Mrs. Fig would later appear in the Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix, released in 2007. So, uh, good. Uh, that is two movies later, I believe. Yeah. Or three movies later. I forget. It was Chamber of Secrets, then it's... I guess it's Order of the Rings. Who knows? I don't know. Movies. Uh, I don't know the Order of the Rings anymore. And Kyle, you uh, know, you just, half our audience are just going to just be killing you on Facebook now. How, how you dare you not, not have an encyclopedic knowledge of all things Harry Potter. Harry Potter? Yeah. My sister and my nephew will be all over you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just like Star Wars, just like anything else. All these fandoms, it's just childish nonsense. I love it too, but it's just childish nonsense. <laughs> then what's video games? Childish nonsense. It's even worse because people want to pretend it's a sport. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> also, sports. Childish nonsense. Uh -huh. <laughs> so much for childish nonsense over and over again. Make everyone mad. I don't really like football either. <laughs> okay. Um, Any, anything else you want to disdain <laughs> the rest of our audience for well, anything? Uh, let me tell you all my hot takes, folks. <laughs> I'm going to Joe Rogan this thing. Join me, <laughs> join me, Kyle, on Late Night Talk. What does Obamacare mean to you? Join us, join us on Patreon for Kyle After Dark. Suck talk. Suck talk. <laughs> Throw back to last week's exactly. episode. <laughs> uh, all right. I gotta move on. To make a Fluffy appear a more realistic um, three-headed dog, his heads were, were made to move independently of each other. And also removed. I was like... <laughs> His heads were made to move more independently of each other and each have their own distinct personality. Um, the only other case I've heard of this was um, most recently in um, Godzilla King of the Monsters where they had King Ghidorah yeah. where each head was supposed to have move very independently of each other and also have their own distinct personalities. Um, one being dumb, the other being serious, and one being uh, selfish, <laughs> I believe was the idea behind those um, uh, the King Ghidorah. I don't remember the fluffy scenes having that much personality, but hey, it's the first track. You know, still cool. Um, John Copenhanger. Uh, stated the magical creatures need to be created when we had to be designed multiple times. Oh, I mentioned that earlier. Sorry. Repeated a note here. Um, Christopher Columbus sold scripts to Steven Spielberg for Gremlins in 1984, The Goonies in 1985, but his f career didn't fully take off until the massive success with Home Alone, Home Alone 2, and Mrs. Doubtfire, which led to even greater success than the Harry Potter franchise as a whole. So Christopher Columbus, amazing director on his own right, and uh, definitely the best pick possible to direct these first, uh, it was the first two films, I think, and then I think the third film was the one where he, he took off. He was like, I want to raise my kids, too, and <laughs> not raise the kids in this movie. <laughs> Uh, this film's 2020 re-release helped it pass the $1 billion mark I mentioned earlier in the podcast, making it the third film to achieve this milestone thanks to its re-release. After uh, This is after um, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, and Jurassic Park in 1993 also surpassed the billion-dollar mark, so good for them. Uh, um, throughout the eight-movie franchise, five actresses played Pansy, uh, Pansy Parkinson. Um, this is uh, paid by first by Catherine Nicholson. Um, this movie, uh, which is uh, for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets in 2002, um, uncredited in both. Then there's um, Geneva Gaunt, who played the role in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Then there's Charlotte Ritchie, who played the role in Goblet of Fire. 
and was originally listed as a student in the credit, but is actually uncredited in the role for the role of Pansy Parkinson. Then there's Laura Shelton, um, who played the role in Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix, again, uncredited as Pansy. But then finally, they got Charlotte Hefner, who was credited for the role in Harry Potter and Half-Blood Prince and Deathly Hollows Part 1 and 2. Five actors, one role. So that's amazing that it's not like a dozen actors who got replaced for multiple roles during this whole film. Like, you know, most of the actors, you know, once again, from movie one to movie eight were the same actors going mm. forward. Or they were, like, cut out entirely or something like that. Like, or remember, they like, died in the head. Or they had to be died around their place. I remember, like, uh, I think, like, Draco's two friends, uh, like, they kind of, uh, the, the two younger actors who played Draco's friends, like, the the, the, the two boys, um, I believe one got into some legal trouble halfway through, so they just re- they replaced them all together with an actor, and then also one of the others just kind of fell through the cracks, didn't get the contract negotiations, had to recast him. But, like, you know, like, that and Dumbledore... Are like the only significant like recasts in the whole movie series, and that's honestly astounding when you consider all the stuff that goes through Hollywood trying to get contract negotiations. Mm-hmm. Like even now, it's like basically the found like the framework they did to make those negotiations work is the framework used by like the Marvel Cinematic Universe today, and even like Warner Brothers. Or like see how Warner Brothers struggles with it today with like the DC universe. Like you know, getting that stuff right is insanely difficult. So once again, all the more. Um, praise to the casting directors and everyone else who made a part of this film to stick through it for that many years. So, cool stuff there. Whew, let's see here. I don't believe... Uh, uh, oh, yeah. In the opening scene of the film, Dumbledore is using his own invention to extinguish the lights of Pivot Drive where Harry Potter lives. It's called the Deluminator. The device will become very important later in Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows Part 1. Uh, Snape's first name, Cerberus, is the Latin translation of the name for the Russian Tsar Ivan IV, more commonly known as Ivan the Terrible. Yeah, so they kind of like a clear indication, like, hey, maybe Cerberus is a bad dude. Also, he wears all black, and he's a moody emo boy in his (laughs) late 30s, which is very weird for an adult to be. If you're an adult in your late 30s, don't be an emo boy. You're not like unless you're. Well, like, now Kyle has eliminated another group of listeners. <laughs> All our listeners are <laughs> middle-aged emo boys. <laughs> Be great. Um, Seamus Finnegan, um, played by Devin Murray, becomes known for blowing things up throughout the movie series. This comes later. This comes important in the final movie, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two, when they have their magical defense scene later on. That whole scene. Um, yeah. Let's see here. What else we got going on here? Ooh. Oh, Christopher Columbus actually released Home Alone in 1990 on November 16th, 1990, a lot, exactly 11 years earlier to this film. So it's exactly 11 years earlier. He like Home Alone, you see, like probably his big break film, and then 11 years later, he's directing Harry Potter. So huh. shows how cool um, careers flourish and strive. Let's see here. What other kind of fun facts do I got around here? Let me take a look. Um. Um, in the script, the flashbacks of Voldemort killing Harry's parents were written by J.K. Rowling. The producers knew she was the only one who knew exactly how that happened. So, you know, in case they needed that kind of information for later films, they're like, J.K. Rowling, okay, we're going to hold you this. Write this one scene for the movie for the first film. At the very least, later on, she had a more active role in some of the other films later down the line. Um, during Harry's first Christmas at Hogwarts... Um, Fred and George um, throw bewitched snowballs to zoom in and hit the back of Professor Quirrell's turban. And doing so, they're unknowingly hitting Voldemort in the face. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Great. Um, when, Harry's, um, when Harry's scar hurts him when he sees Snape at the head table, the back of Qu- Professor Quirrell's head, um, where Voldemort lies, is facing him. Harry attributed the pain to Snape's presence when Voldemort is staring at him all along. Also, watch Snape's reaction in the film when you see Harry's scars hurting. He looks at Quirrell, obviously suspicious of him. So, Service obviously kind of knows what's going on and looks at Quirrell like, what are you doing to Harry right now? Um, when Harry meets, first meets Professor Quirrell in the Bar of Hagrid, Harry extends his hand for him to shake it. Um, Quirrell makes a point not to shake it. It is shown at the end of the movie that when Harry does touch Quirrell, it causes him to physically break down to his, due to his dark magic in association with Voldemort. That one who shall be named. <laughs> 
Um, Rupert Grint was actually injured on his attack during the Queen's... It uh, was actually attacked by the Queen during the chess game, after which um, rocks really do are fall um, fall on him, striking him on the cheek when he hits the ground. So he actually did get hurt a little bit in that little scene, which is bad, because you don't want to hurt a kid on a movie set. You know, or adult for that matter. But you also, that, a kid you is signed worse. that waiver, I'm sure. Yeah, you signed that waiver. You know, it, like stuff happens. Insurance will cover it. But, like, he did get hurt. Not like hospital visit hurt, but like, hey, you threw a lot of stuff at me, and that was really painful. Um, during the Quidditch match, when Snape is seen muttering the incantation, he can briefly be seen that Quirrell is also saying a spell. It turns out that this was a hex. While Snape was using a counter curse to Quirrell's concentration, was killed when he was knocked over in the stands. Yeah, and then furthermore, when Harry loses control of the Nimbus 2000 during the Quidditch match, Hermione focuses binoculars on the spectator tower where her teacher is hidden. If one watches closely for the binoculars, zoom in on Snape muttering the counter curse, Quirrell can be seen with his eyes focused on Harry's broomstick. So he's both nursing, he's both, you know, muttering his curse and then watching the Nimbus 2000 directly as foreshadowing, like, hey, Quirrell's actually the bad guy, services mm-hmm. and you just suspect him. He's a, he's a red hair in this movie. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Um, in the film, the dragon that Hagrid was raising was raising um, Norbit was mentioned to have been sent to Romania, presumably be to be um, uh, raised by uh, Ron's brother Charlie, who was working with dragons there, much like the book. Additionally, in the final novel, Harry Potter and Deathly Hollows, during Bill Weasley and Fleur de Clara's wedding, it was mentioned that. It was mentioned by Charlie to Hagrid that Norbert is actually a female dragon and had been renamed to Norbetta. No, no, um, Noberta. Noberta is the name of the dragon now. So, yeah, so he changed the name there because it actually was a girl dragon. So he seems like, oh, hey, no, Norbert's not the right name. It's a girl dragon. It's a girl. Yeah. And then, uh, let's see here. Um, that is all I have for my notes personally. So, Jimbo, how do you feel about the first Harry Potter film? You're going to make me go first, aren't you, I, I am, because I don't know what to say yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Harry Potter. Um, it's no Lord of the Rings. But I it's can no Star Trek. But it's I no can, Star but Wars. But I can see why... Um, I can see why kids were drawn to it. Um, uh, contrary to popular belief, I have read the first three books of the Harry Potter series. Um, and this... Uh, move the first movie. I think is probably the best one out of all of them, of all eight. Um, I think it sticks more directly to the book than the other ones. Uh, but, but I haven't read all of them, so I can't say for sure. Um, <clears throat> some great actors, um, especially being the children actors. They did a really good job. Um, yeah. They made it believable. Um, it has some a lot of comedy in it. Uh, Hagrid's pretty hilarious, and you just hate Snape in this movie. You know what I mean? You, oh, yeah. you think he's just you think he knows something, and he's always just out to get Harry. Um, he immediately gives you those bad vibes, yeah. and it's very simplistic. Uh, Draco Malfoy, uh, you can just tell he's the 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 bully in school. Uh, so it has a lot of correlations between uh, real high school or school and. Wizard School, I guess. You know, I mean, they, 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 they when Rawlings wrote the book, you can tell that she uh, put a lot of effort into it. You know, I appreciate her for what she did in the book because um, it, it, it made a lot of money. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, I mean, you, you can talk about the, the merchandise from this movie. I mean, you've got wands and you've got uh, talking hats. Like, I got my sister a talking. But as a sorting hat, yeah, uh, for Christmas they've got Christmas ornaments. They've got, I mean, the merchandise is it's up there with Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, and anything yeah, else. yeah. I mean, Disney has Star Wars. Warner Brothers has Harry Potter for now until know, Disney I, buys them. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I just sometimes it's like Star Wars. Sometimes when you keep putting stuff out, like as far as the Fantastic Beast, where they're trying to go back into the prequels for Dumbledore. It just kind of loses its... You lose the force for the trees. You kind of lose the essence of what it is. Right. Like... But they do have that new video game coming out called Hogwarts that looks really cool. Um, so, mm-hmm. I mean, there again, you're getting ready to put a bunch of money and make another several million dollars, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure, like, Harry, the Harry Potter, like, universe and Hogwarts and that kind of, like, world will have a future. Um, unfortunately, I think um, J.K. Rowling's 
as long as she continues to have her own influence over the world that she created and she owns, I, I don't dispute that at all. But as long as she has influence over the world she created as the moment, it's doing her a disservice, I think, to the actual overall brand, I think. Um, so I think we'll still see Harry Potter stuff in the future, but for now, I think it's fair to say like they're kind of misguided right now in a lot of entries. Um, mm-hmm. Was I entertained by the movie? Yeah, it was all right. Um, it's a solid film. Yeah, it's not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, now... To me, I'd rather watch Lord of the Rings, but I see why people would watch Harry Potter. Um, it's just a different, you know. I, I appreciate that, especially movies. I appreciate that we can have different movies in the fantasy setting, and with the special effects that they can do now, it just makes it more believable. And yeah. this is a solid story, at least through the first film. I know there's some of these films that I haven't seen yet, so. Um, don't hold that against me yet. I'm sure we'll cover them eventually in the podcast. But um, I just know for our third birthday, we wanted to do something special like we did uh, for Star Wars. Um, I think that was our second. Was that last year when you came? Yeah. Uh, for yeah. the second birthday, we did Star year. Wars. Mm-hmm. So Kyle's one-year birthday for the podcast is this episode of Harry Potter. So he's kind of like he's kind of like Harry Potter. He's kind of grown up this yeah, past yeah, yeah. year. I've learned to speak my mind. <laughs> and that's the downfall of the podcast. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm yeah, the JK Rowling at this podcast. It's a solid movie. Uh, I, yeah. I don't have anything bad to say. And I'd say at least watch it. Um, I know there are people that just hate this movie to, with a passion. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I, I don't have anything bad to say about it. Um, I know a lot of people really like this. They like it better than Lord of the Rings, and that's their own prerogative. So, um, yeah, well done. Yeah, overall. It made a lot of money, too, so I can't be mad at that. Yeah. All right, well, I'll pivot over to me a little bit. I uh, I am directly in the age group of people that really appreciate Harry Potter. Some of my best friends were, like, big Harry Potter fans growing up and all that stuff. So you're stuff. a pothead. Yeah, yeah huge, <laughs> huge, a lot of potheads I knew growing up. Yeah, if only I knew how real that was. But <laughs> um, I avoided it entirely. I, I never got into Harry Potter from the first place, really. Um, I was there kind of watching some of the films later on, but never really saw the appeal of them. So I don't hate this series to any degree but I never really grew, grew a fondness for it and every time I learned more about it uh, I, I've learned more about it like post the first eight movies and learned more about J.K. Rowling or like some of the failings of her world design so like to me like the overall world of Hogwarts uh, the world of Hogwarts and the Harry Potter wizarding world I found to be kind of like distasteful and disappointing in many aspects um, but this film is a solid film it's a solid beginning a solid framework to make a better franchise off of and uh, I hope to see it improve and kind of like you know shave off some of those rough edges someday of uh, questionable things. You know, like uh, like you know, later when we get to the films, talk about like the, um, the, uh, the 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 slave elves or the specific the uh, the negative Jewish connotations with the uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the what's the things that guard the guard the uh, the bank the goblins basically yeah, goblin. yeah the goblins drop the drink you know the negative connotations of that and uh, a lot of other kind of like smaller world aspects that I'm like mm, man this is just. This is some bad foundational work that should be repaired in the future, and I don't think J.K. Rowling is uh, skilled enough to do those kind of things, frankly. Um, so I kind of feel I feel kind of rough about the whole Harry Potter franchise, um, but this film by itself is a completely solid film. It's good family entertainment, and um, not that much uh, like um, questionable content going into it. If you want to bring your family into it, it's definitely worth watching once. Um, it's definitely it's definitely worth paying attention to the Harry Potter um, franchise as a whole. Um, it's you know I think uh, most of the films are generally entertaining and most of the, and the most of the people involved are generally good people that have well good intentions and you know portray the world in its best light possible. So overall, I think the films are actually really excellent in most regards. Um, so I, um, although I have a lot of misgivings, specifically with supporting J.K. Rowling and um, supporting the whole world, I still think it's a world kind of worth exploring and uh, getting joy out of it because ultimately, if you're getting happiness from these films, then who am I to say no? Um, really, you know. JK Rowling isn't that horrible to the world. She's not like actively trying to destroy it or anything like that. So like, who, who cares at that point? You know, she, she's just the lady has bad opinions. <laughs> but I know I'm dime a dozen. I'm a person who has bad opinions. Whatever. It's okay. I have no power. You're a I'm person. <laughs> You're a wizard. I'm a wizard. Kyle. You're a wizard, Kyle. Um, really? I want to go back to school. Um, yeah. So overall, I think the film's okay. So once again, we'd like to thank you for three years. I can't believe it's been three years. Three um, years. From our humble beginnings, it was pretty pretty rough there for a while um but we're starting to come through it um next week 
getting ready to dive into you go from one form to another and we will be taking on schindler's list <laughs> it is a rough one if you've ever seen the movie it is a rough one to get through and it's like three and three hours and 14 minutes long so yeah. uh, if you haven't watched it uh it's definitely worth giving a watch just be be forewarned there is some adult content in there uh that may not be suitable for some children so viewer discretion will be advised yeah. it's a very heavy film we'll be trying to handle a lot of the um, subject matter delicately as possible and uh, try and put it in the best light possible Kyle and delicate just doesn't go together he just speaks what he says I speak what, what I speaks. say but also I, I, tr- I try I got the disclaimer now I got the disclaimer on the oh, podcast look a butterfly. Exactly. oh look a butterfly <laughs> I, you know, like, I have good intentions I just mumble my way through all of them <laughs> right so, uh, once again, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Um, again, if you want to join us on the, the uh, podcast uh, Facebook group, it's the Tragedy of Cinema uh, podcast group on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe by now Kyle will have a TikTok video out of, of it, but I doubt it. Someday. You know, um, that's your goal for next week. But for our birthday, you need to put a birthday collage together for birthday the podcast. Birthday collage for the podcast on TikTok. So make sure you go to TikTok and search the Tragedy of Cinema because Kyle will have something on TikTok. Exactly. You will. Exactly. That is your that is my not, goal. You're fired. You're yeah. fired. You're fired. You're fired. Yeah. Okay. So um, <laughs> thanks again. Uh, we hope everybody's having a great day. Uh, thanks for your support and love. We love you all. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast, especially me joining. <laughs> well, yeah. I like being here. Every once in a while. No. <laughs> On occasion. Well, with that being a said, clock is uh, right here's to many more birthdays. Uh, Kyle, make a wish. I wish for more years of Tragedy Cinema Podcast. Well, I thought you were going to go total, totally different with there. See, like, I can be delicate, Jimbo. Like, uh-huh. I wish I could fly. Well, with that being said, I Wait, think Wait, I can this- wish for that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this episode is coming to close, and that's a wrap. And cut.